0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to talk to you today about one of my favorite subjects, namely prayer. I think it's fair to say that the Bible and the great tradition are massively interested in prayer. And may I say, especially in the prayer of petition, asking God for things. Now, I understand there are many types of prayer. There's meditation, contemplation, adoration, Lectio Divina, et cetera, et cetera. But the most basic and most practiced form of prayer is the prayer of petition, If you could put a a great net over the whole earth to catch all the prayers and petitions that go up to God, think how many millions upon millions we'd catch. You know, studies have shown that everybody prays, even professed non-believers pray in some way, and that doesn't strike me as as too surprising actually, because I I think everyone is naturally wired for God. So even when you claim, you know, I'm I'm a non-believer. I think you give yourself away by your prayers. Prayer seems to be born of a very profound instinct in the human heart. Asking God, begging, imploring, desiring, longing. I've always appreciated something that uh, St. John Paul II said toward the end of his life. He said, "When I was younger, I thought that the prayer of petition was a relatively simple and immature form of prayer. But now that I'm an old man, I realize that every prayer is a prayer of petition. And I'm not afraid to ask God for the simplest things. It's good isn't it? When I was first getting into people like, uh, you know, Thomas Merton and through Merton into the great contemplative tradition of, you know, Bernard and" John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, all those people, uh, I probably had a somewhat similar prejudice, you know, that somehow petitionary prayer is something that kids do, and it's at a relatively immature stage of life. And once we get to higher stages, we do these more refined forms of prayer, like contemplation and meditation. And I think, though, (laughs) I have tracked very much with John Paul II. The the longer I'm at this thing, the more I realize that that's kind of a silly distinction. And in fact— all prayer, even the so-called you know, highest prayer of contemplation, is finally a prayer petition. And, and asking God, even for the, for the simplest things, you know, Lord, uh, help me to have a good night's sleep. Lord, help me to have a, a good day. Lord, please bless tomorrow with good weather. I mean, the simple things we ask for, good. Why not? We should. Okay, but what precisely is petitionary prayer? And how does it work? Well, our first reading and the gospel for this weekend, I think, shed a good deal of light on these issues. The first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, and it describes a moment in the long process of Israel's escape from Egypt, the journey to the Promised Land. You know, we should attend, by the way, immediately to the symbolism here. This long journey of Israel to the Promised Land is a symbolic description of the spiritual life, isn't it? Moving from the slavery of sin to the fullness of life in heaven. And so, all of us, everybody listening to me right now, all of us are on this, you know, rather long and painful and sometimes frankly dangerous journey from sin to salvation. So, we're all meant to identify with the Israelites in the desert. We face Obstacles of every kind, including sometimes deadly opposition. In this uh, uh, story from Exodus, Israel faces Amalek. Now, Amalek is this ancient tribe you know, known just to, I suppose, biblical commentators and specialist historians. But the point is, Amalek is not just this long-forgotten ancient tribe, but rather a symbol of of the evil that all of us face on the journey from sin to salvation. Think of Amalek here as discouragement, depression, persecution, hatred, violence, spiritual opposition. I mean, all of it we face as we're under God's grace being led from sin to salvation. Well, what should we do? Judging from this story, we should fight. We should get in the arena. No serious spiritual person belongs on the sidelines of life. It's very important. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how sick you are or what's going on. Every single one of us is called to fight in this great spiritual battle, to make our way under God's providence and through God's grace to the promised land. Shift the metaphor a bit. We've all got a mission to do, so do it. And, and Amalek is going to rise up, trust me, against every one of us. Well, don't sit on the sidelines. Don't surrender, but get into action. This is the fighting church, if you want. Now, press it one more step. What is absolutely necessary in this struggle against Amalek as we make our way from Egypt to the Promised Land? What is Absolutely necessary. Prayer. So we hear about Moses, right, their great leader, not in the battle himself, but he's up on the hillside, and he has his, his arms raised in petitionary prayer. We hear that when Moses prays, the battle goes well. When he lowers his arms, the battle goes poorly. Basic teaching throughout the Bible Born out throughout the great tradition in the lives of all the saints, is that nothing great is ever accomplished in this world apart from prayer. Let me just say that again, everybody. Nothing great in this world is accomplished apart from prayer. No victory in the spiritual struggle is accomplished without prayer. I think maybe I've told you before about this, but it always impressed me um, that Billy Graham, you know, the, the great 20th century evangelist, Uh, when he was going into a a city to do a crusade, he would send a team one year in advance into that city to pray for the success of the mission. They were not there to plan it logistically. Other people did that. They were not there to to make the connections with the city, etc. Other people did that. Their job was to pray for a year for the success of the mission. Good. Nothing great is ever accomplished apart from prayer. Now, why should this be true? Why is this the case? See, one thing we can't say is that, well, it's because God wouldn't know of our struggles otherwise. So it's <laughs> though we're, we're alerting some high official that, oh, by the way, you know, we're involved in a terrible struggle. Could you help us? Well, that's just silly. I mean, God is, is omniscient. God doesn't need our little informational reports. You know, Lord, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm in a good deal of trouble here. No, God knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows every hair on our head, right, as Jesus said. He knows what we need before we ask, as Jesus also said. So it's not a question of informing some, some uh, otherwise ignorant political figure. Nor can we say, listen now, that our prayer convinces a God who is otherwise reluctant to help us. He's like a, like a big city boss, or he's like some pasha, you know, and that um, he's not really all that kindly disposed toward us, but if we go and, and we you know, grovel sufficiently and we say enough you know words of, of praise, maybe he'll be persuaded. Well, I mean, that can't be right either. I mean, God is omniscient. He's also omnibenevolent. God is love straight through. God wants nothing but what's best for us. It's not like we're trying to persuade him uh, to change his mind. That that can't be it. So the question remains, why is prayer therefore so necessary? Here's one way to get at it. Prayer opens us consciously to God and keeps us in steady personal relationship to Him. You know that famous definition of John of of Damascus that uh, um, prayer is the raising of the mind and the heart to God. That's good. It's not persuading a reluctant pasha. It's not informing a, a political boss. It's our raising of our minds and hearts to God. It's a conscious aligning of our wills and minds to his. And what's this do? This, it seems to me, awakens a blessing in us. It's as though we've tapped into a power that's there, that wants to help us. And this perhaps explains why persistence in prayer is so important in the Bible. It's not that we're wearing God down. Don't think of it that way. Like, he's just, you know, I finally had it with these people. I'll give them what they want. No, no. We're keeping ourselves steadily open to his influence. Here's a lovely detail in that Exodus story, by the way. When Moses' arms grow weary, that's when Aaron and Hur, two of his assistants, hold up his arms. See, I think they stand for all of those institutions and donors and, and other good people who support the prayer of the church. Church is praying all the time, but it needs help, doesn't it? I mean, it needs churches to pray in. It needs it needs support for the for the people that do the praying. Who's gonna keep open the uh, the doors of the of the chapel? Who's gonna pay for the electricity to light up the twenty four hour adoration chapel? I, I'm being kind of very particular, to make the point. There's someone holding up the arms of those who pray. Beautiful. It's like the the complexity of the life of the church. Now, with these clarifications in mind, let me just turn briefly as I close to the great parallel text, which is our gospel for today. It's another of the Lucan parables, this one, dealing with a judge who feared neither God nor man, but he was pestered by a very persistent widow who pressed him for a decision. The judge was unwilling to make it, but the woman just warmed down. Listen now as, as the judge in the parable speaks. While it's true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her, lest she finally come and strike me. So here's the exasperated judge, worn down by the persistent begging of the widow. Don't overliteralize the metaphor here. Don't over apply the metaphor. Jesus is not insinuating that God is like this reluctant judge. But he is saying indeed, I think, even if someone as bad as this judge can be affected by persistent prayer, how much more is the infinitely good God capable of responding to persistent petition? So Jesus concludes, listen, will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him day and night? Yes, is the implied answer. So pray and pray and pray. Pray with persistence. Never give up. Keep your mind and heart raised to God. Now, will you always receive what you want? Do children always receive exactly what they want from their parents? I hope not. Do you know it's the last line of the gospel, by the way? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The key to obtaining what is good is prayer. And the key to prayer is faith. When faith runs out, prayer fails. When prayer fails, we don't get the good things that we want. I mean, he's laying out a kind of spiritual physics. So, pray. Pray constantly. Pray constantly persistently. Keep your minds and hearts open to God. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.